Welcome to today's County Road Bobblers podcast. It's myself, which I'm joined by uh, Barry Williams and uh, Roger Armstrong, um, some of our reoccurring guests as of late, and, and two of my faves out there as well. Um, so we were actually going to do this last week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually half glad we didn't now, looking on, you know, family circumstances actually came up in the meantime before that, but uh, it's actually given us a bit of breathing space. Uh, but there's plenty to reflect to. We can't totally forget what's what's happened uh, prior to that. Um, just because we've only really done the space um, on the Lampard appointment, we're just going to quickly have a bit of a talk around Lampard um, just to kind of capture that on, on, on a podcast. Um, so so Lamp, uh, Lampard was definitely a manager. I know both of you guys um, certainly were interested in, in appointing, you know, some of the ones out there. Uh, Roger, um, what was it that struck you with Lampard that, that, that stood out you from, that stood out to you from well quite a slim list of candidates elsewhere? It was a, quite a slim list, Dave. You're right. Um, but what what did I like about Lampard? Firstly, I really rated him as a player. Thought he was a very very intelligent player, and as a player, um, a little known fact, but probably a, a, a greater known fact now is that he won more trophies at Chelsea. Um, whilst he was there as a player than Everton have in their history. Um, that is, if you don't include the Florida Cup, which I know some people are still clinging to. Um, so he's a winner. He's a very intelligent player. But, you know, he wasn't a Paul Gascoigne, um, a, a, a very gifted talent of a player. He had to work very hard. Came from a footballing background. Obviously, his dad had also done the dirty on us in a cup tie, although not a final in the semi for West Ham back in the day. So he's come from, you know... He, good football in stock and he had to work a bit like David Beckham had to work very, very hard at his technique was a model pro um, played in a successful team and played under a lot of very good managers stayed at one club apart from, you know, West Ham to Chelsea. And then, you know, tail end of his career, a bit of time in America, a bit of time at city, um, but uh, loyal uh, played with some great players, played under some great managers as a coach did a decent job at Derby. I think I'm lucky not to get out of the championship losing to Villa who subsequently, you know, did well and continued to do well in the in the in the Premier League. Don't think he did a bad job at Chelsea under a bit of a cloud of a transfer ban. Very good with young players. Developed the likes of Mount, Reese James, Tammy Abraham, and as you say, there wasn't a great big list. And nor is Everton the most attractive club, given we're wallowing around the bottom half of the table and facing a relegation scrap. Um, so I'd have to agree with my old man that it was very brave of Frank to take the job in the first place. And I'm absolutely delighted he did. Because um, I thought he'd be a good fit. I didn't imagine he'd be quite as good a fit and have ingratiated himself with the fan base so effectively so quickly. But I think that is also down to the intelligence of the man. I think he speaks well. Uh, he doesn't take any prisoners. And the fact that he can bring with him, which I, again, I hadn't factored in, but, you know, only a bonus that the assistant manager of Chelsea resigned that position to come and work with him at Everton. And that he's brought the likes of Paul Clement, highly experienced and effective coach, and Ashley Cole with him. It's a good team. I think uh, I think we won. I think we made a good appointment, and there's not a lot of times you could say that in the last six years. <laughs> Definitely not, Roger. And I think you make an interesting point about the uh, the backroom staff. It's it's. I've got to say, I think I mentioned to you on WhatsApp the other day. It's not necessarily what I always look at the backroom staff, but something about what he's put together seems to stand out. Um, Barry, I, I don't know how early you, you got to the, the game on, on Saturday. Um, I, I tried to get out. Well, I was certainly a lot there earlier than I've ever been used to trying to get there with the atmosphere. I know you were, you were collecting quite a few banners on Saturday to bring down the game. 
Uh, but what stood out to me was that backroom staff all looked professional, all looked, you know, all uniformed in, in the way they dressed, the way they, they conducted themselves, all black boots and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, I, I, you know, what was the biggest standout to you? Are you impressed with what he's brought in backroom-wise, Barry? And, and, you know, like Roger mentioned about some of, you know, the, the attraction to some of the younger players, we've already maybe seen some of that with, with Dobbin signing a contract. Gordon's come out today, you know, again, spoke really highly of them. Uh, you know, are, they, are, are them some, you know, couple of the standout plus points for you? The, the biggest standout plus point, and I'm sure Roger will agree with me, is it's anyone but Benitez done. Well, <laughs> is that, you know, and to echo what Roger said, you know, he, he's had a good career. He was unlucky at Derby. Ultimately, he was unlucky at Chelsea. He finished fourth with a transfer ban. And I think the previous year he finished, um, he finished well further than fourth. Uh, obviously, his career was great. He won literally everything. You know, so hopefully that rubs off on the on the on the team now. Um, and we can build in the future. But now it was my it was between him and Rooney who I wanted and I'm I'm not not unhappy with him. I'm I'm quite made up with him to be fair. And he's embraced the fans straight away, which is a big thing that I've been Rooney was an interesting one, wasn't it? It's obviously he's doing all right. I think we just probably caught that at the wrong time. You know, I think if it, you know if he was three years on into his managerial career, that would have given us more to consider. But a lot of people see Lampard as a bit of a chance, but he's he's dipped his toes in a couple of jobs now. You know, Derby wasn't the easiest job in the world. If you listen to that that podcast that he he, he talks on um, with uh, Scholes, it's the, um, the sorry with Gary Neville at the what's that series called again? Regardless, uh, he talks on that about picking up that Derby team, being told you know. When he got there, that he was losing uh, Matthias Vidra, obviously the, the player of the season the year before, losing Andreas Feynman, um, and all of a sudden it became much of a bigger task for him. I think he, he picked them up very similar to us, where they were an aging team, um, you know, a team that liked to counter attack the season before, you know, and a polar opposite to, you know, pr- pretty much what, what Carlo and, and Rafa kind of tried to set us up as. Um, so there were some similarities there. and there's a, a lot of people were saying, well, he, he, you know, he, he didn't manage to get uh, Derby up, but it was a big task to get them to where he got them, um, you know, and it was all over 90 minutes at the end of the day where he didn't get up. Um, you know, to really imprint on a side, sometimes you do need time. Um, I, I, talking of time, obviously, three games have passed now, Rog. Um, mm-hmm. We've had two, obviously, home games, the, the Cup against Brentford, a rather... Tough game away at Newcastle, to say the least. We probably made it a lot harder for ourselves as well with injuries. And then we've had the game at the weekends. How long do you think it's going to take for him to kind of start to imprint his image on that side? Yeah, I think it's going to take time, isn't it? That that um, thing you talk about is on YouTube. It's it's called The Overlap with Gary Neville. He does them very, very well. The one with Lampard's fascinating. The one he did with Carragher was quite good as well done a recent one with Declan Rice and yeah Frank comes across very well in that it's going to take time look I mean we've had three games and three very different games um the first game cup tie Goodison naturally up for a cup tie against you might think slightly softer opposition in terms of Brentford though they were quite physical and 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 we won the game comfortably 
Um, we went to Newcastle and, and you know, one of the worst performances of the season, I think, um, regardless of who was the coach. It was an absolutely despicable performance by by the entire team. I don't think many came out of that game with credit. Maybe Jordan did. Um, that was about it. Um, and none of us would be surprised at that as a performance because these players have given us several of those. Um, what I'd like to ask you two, and I know you were key in this, both with your, you know, your Bobblers hats on and your, your fans forum affiliations, was why do you think it was, and you, you were instrumental in, in, in this really very effective campaign to get some atmosphere at Goodison. Um, why on earth, why on earth did you need to do that? You know, I mean, it was great. And from a distance, it was really impressive and significant, the amount of noise, the amount of support that was there. But, but how, on, how on earth did we come to this place that we needed a really focused campaign of fans to get together, to get the fans to support the team? Um, how did that disconnect happen? I think just just a quick one coming off the. Um, I was listening to Toffee TV earlier on, on uh, Baz and Matt from the from the Blue Room were, were both talking on on this issue, and um, what they stood out really stood out to me. Really talked about almost a malaise at times. You know that we've been left really not competing. You know we've yeah. not been in some of the bigger games. You know we, we we've almost been on the shelf, haven't we? You know gathering dust. You know, and I think that's starting to show signs in the fan base, and it probably has. You know, took uh, the shock of what's happened with Newcastle and the very re- you know the very real reality that still exists that this team can still go down. You know, and uh, and that you know we can't forget. You know the people that have got us in this position in the first place, and, and some of the incompetence probably that's got us here now. Um, but we are where we are. Uh, Barry, I'll hand over to yourself because obviously you were instrumental in, in obviously sorting a lot of this out and, and pulling people together. And you're obviously looking at the next wave of towards the next game again. And you've already expanded that group of people that are involved in it. You know, I know certainly a couple have come on board today uh, and yesterday. So, what are your thoughts on it, Barry? Well, the only reason that I, like, not the only reason, like, but the main reason that I done it was when I went to Newcastle on Tuesday. Their fans just stuck with them all the way through. And Goodison tends to lose the crowd if it's not going well. You know, you've probably seen mm-hmm. Fox, um the other week where he or the other day, where he was like, Goodison's the easiest place to play if you keep it. Like if you nullify the crowd, then it's the easiest place to play. Because the fans just get on the back straight away. And you know, we are in the shit. You know, we are in the relegation battle. You know, but you can you can doll that up as much as you want. So just thought, you know what? Why? And we've always said it. Like instead of being reactive, why don't we be proactive and we try and spare the team? Instead of waiting for the team to do something, because let's be honest, half of them aren't good enough, regardless of, of Saturday's result. And you know, they they'll just wait rounds. So why don't we do something, and then we can. We can at least say, you know, if the, if the worst was to happen, we've tried, so why not? Um, and then obviously you seen you would have seen Saturday, and it was and it was unbelievable. No, it was. It was. We spoke about it beforehand, didn't we? In terms of, you know, how, what what is this? I can't think of any other business, any other industry, any other event, even whereby almost the worst the team perform, or the actors perform, or the 
service providers perform, the more the customers get behind them and encourage them. I mean, I know, of course, we all want the best, but, you know, we're passionate and we want Everton to win every game. But equally as fans, if they don't perform, we tell them, don't we? What's wrong in that? Do you think we're a, do you think we're too critical as a fan base, Baz, or do you think our players are just a bit too a bit too soft? I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, because everyone pays the money and they're in their own opinion, which is sound. Um, but you know, if, if I I refer to like if, if I was in work, if someone if I was in work and someone was just like just giving me shite all the time. I just literally stand there and just go, all right, fuck you. I'm not, yeah. I'm still, it'll be, I couldn't give a fuck what you say now. Mm. You see, yeah. I think, I, I think that's a really important point that you've just made there, Barry. And I think it sums up the difference between the Benitez style of management and the Lampard style of management. Because Benitez, as I understand things, came into the club and told every, whatever one's view of Benitez, and I was never a fan and I never wanted him in the first place, nothing to do with his red affiliations, just to, due to the fact that he was well over the hill. But his style seems to have been to come in and tell everyone from the, um, from the catering staff to the groundsmen, to the medical staff, to the scouts, to Marcel Brands, to every player, you're not good enough, you need to do better. So you might call that the big stick approach, which some people might respond better to than others. But you can't use that as your only approach to everyone. You know, we've all worked with people and you need to motivate people. You need to develop relationships with them. It's quite clear that Frank is is doing exactly that. You know, you must. I, I thought I was living in, in, in some sort of Neverland on, on, on Saturday when I heard him say that obviously uh, it's difficult to find a man in the match. But if I had to pick one, I'd give it to Alex. It won't be. I mean, crikey, you'd have got 500 to one on that. But he's putting his arms around players and he's encouraging them and he's giving them confidence. And just like the fans doing, fans are encouraging, you know, and it's just this classic dilemma, isn't it? It's the chicken and the egg. What comes first? Do we have to wait for the, fact that the players to show us effort and commitment and ability and graft and, you know, throw in a Phil Neville-style tackle on Ronaldo? Or can the fans do it themselves? And obviously Saturday proved the fans can get something going. But that's not a sustainable way to, 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 to apply a, a footballing campaign, just rely on the fans, is it? No. Go on, buddy. Go ahead, lad. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Roger. I think you've got you've got to, you've got to, it's got to be a two way street there, you know. And it is this classic: is it the fans or is it the players or somewhere in between? I think you know, I, I think it's galvanised the fan base a little bit because the fans are all, you know. I think I I I didn't actually drink for for a change on on Saturday. I had to go and see me dad in hospital beforehand, um. So I, I had I had a couple of drinks after the game celebrating, um. Well, a bit of relief more than anything rather than celebrating. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it gave the, the fans a bit of a taste again to think, you know what, I actually enjoyed this a bit more than normally have done the last 12 months, the last couple of years at Goodison. So I think the fans are naturally now have, have got a bit of momentum. So I think the, I think the atmosphere and look, our fans are, are a treasure. You know, we are, we are diamonds. We, we don't at times deserve the fan base that we've got up and down this country because, the, you know, the amount of, Commit, you know, the commitment they put into stuff, but I think that they'll look after them, you know, themselves now. Obviously, there's a lot of momentum going forward. You know, um, we were speaking to Hibbo, likes hands, tours, and all that. Being coming to the group that we, you know, that, that we had set up last week, because we only had 72 hours to try and put string something together last week to try and pull as much as we can. And there was a lot of good work going on right across the fan base. I know it's 27 campaign, for example, they were putting a lot of messaging out as well. So 
there's, there's momentum out there. So it's just a case of pulling all that together now, making sure that fans are in unity and, and bringing that all together, making sure everyone's collectively working. Uh, so I think that'll look after itself now. And I think it, the onus is now on the players. You know, the onus is now on, on Frank Lampard to continue um, them actually delivering as well. And you, yeah, you raise a really good point about put, putting arms around players and, and, and not just having one approach. I mean, I talk about behaviour uh, and personality types in, in some of the culture stuff that I do and work um, you know, and I've got my my insight profiles here. You know, talking about I'm a sunshine yellow and very close to a fiery red. I like to be approached in a certain way. There's other people, you know, that you know that like to be motivated and you know in different ways. And some 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 directions can demotivate people. And I think we've seen with Richardson's the one for me that, that that stood out for me. There's a different Richardson I saw at the weekend. And I, I was always wondering this when Rafa Benitez took over because he was really close to Carlo Ancelotti. He was almost like a father figure for him. And Richardson's such a, a moody player is, is probably the best way of putting him. You know, he is like, you know, he can be sometimes like a petulant child. You know, other times he uses that to his advantages, you know, and he's angry on the pitch. He's feisty and, you know, he, he works tirelessly. And I thought he's just looked a bit lost the last six months under Rafa Benitez. He just wasn't quite there. I was wondering whether, you know, that was going to translate to a move maybe in the summer. But I think... The, the thing that stood out when the first training session with Lampard, a great big smile on his face. He just looked like a, a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. And I think that translated into a, a really good performance at the weekend. And I think exactly what you've just said there, Roger, that's probably come from someone putting their arm around him again and, and believing in him and saying, look, you're a player. You know, this, you know, what you bring to this team is invaluable. Uh, uh, you know, and it, it, the actual stats, you know, his running stats, interception, all that kind of stacked up. And it was the player of old going back. The problem is we have too many, you know, too many eights one week and, and the five the next week, you know, like some Andre Gomez, you know, we've seen that um, against Brentford and then we've seen a different Andre Gomez against Newcastle. And it's trying to find out that in between, you know, who you can trust in. You know, we all know he's been naughty and nice because we've seen the list of Christmas. Um, you know, we have, we're privy to that kind of Santa Claus list, but there's players on there now hopefully Duncan Ferguson can at least say to Lampard, look, you can't really trust in this fella. And if you do, he's probably you're probably going to end up losing your job. You know, because some of these will will not perform week in, week out. And I think he just needs to identify a core bunch of players. Part of that, you know, he needs a bit of luck with the injuries. Um, Barry, uh, is there anyone that, that, that kind of stands out for you? Obviously, I've just named Andre Gomez. I think Awobi probably falls into that category. Anyone else that you kind of thinks into that, that pattern of inconsistency? I think there's quite a few there, isn't there? Half of them. Yeah. Is prime, prime example is Michael Keane. Yeah, that's who I would have said, yeah. Michael Keane's great one week, turned into Franz Beckenbauer and then turned into Titus Bramble the next. You'd, you know, you'd get him a bit of consistency and he'll be all right. Uh, another one. Another one for me is, um, what's his name? Is Decore and Alan. You know, Decore's boss one week. And then the next week, can't pass the ball from me to Kelly. Or like, and then Alan will win a tackle every game, but then some weeks will just be off and give fouls away and shit all the time. So I'd say after that, but if I had to pick one, I'd go with, if I had to pick one, I'd go with Michael Keane. Roger, you know, you know in, in terms of that, obviously it's a different style of play from the last two managers now. Um, Obviously, the high press front foot style, uh, you know, the kind of stats back up on Saturday that, you know, we were playing that way. And there was, certainly it was a much faster start. The last time I can 
recall the start like that was probably under David Moyes, uh, where we came out swinging. Um, mm-hmm. Will that help certain players? Obviously, we, we did see a different Alex Awobi. I think, you know, even though he has fluctuated quite a lot, I think that performance particularly stood out in terms of numbers and it was probably his best performance in Everton shirt. Do you think there's anyone there that will benefit from that different style of uh, play that, that maybe the other last couple of managers haven't been able to to afford the squad? Um, yeah, I, I think there are a couple. Just before I answer that, I just want to go back to this point about, you know, getting the fans together and and, and Barry saying, why don't the fans just, you know, be proactive? Um, there is absolutely no way that you could have organised this great big, enormous terror dome, as Astro would call it, atmosphere at Goodison had Benitez still been in the dugout right so 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 let's just be a hundred percent clear here because there are some people who want to say well you see the fans the fans had just not moaned so much if the fans had got behind the team all the time get behind the team get behind the team everything would have been fine exactly but 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 it wouldn't have been because what Lampard has done, and Barry makes a great point, it's very easy to say, it doesn't take many words to say it, but Frank has connected with the fans and he's been able to do that because he's shown humility and because he is a footballing man and because he was honest with the fans from day one that we were in the shit. We were in a relegation battle, league wins were what mattered. It's a long campaign, we'll take each game as it comes, there are enough games to go, don't panic, but we are in a difficult position. And I think he's been honest and he's been straightforward with the fans. To the extent almost that Kuman was early doors, you know, Kuman would come out and say things as they were early doors and then completely lost the plot, as we know. So, you know, we couldn't, to those who said, you see, all I've ever been saying is get behind the team. We could not have got behind the team as a fan base with Benitez in the dugout. And let's also not forget that in this euphoria of a great win, which it was, beating Leeds at home in the Premier League should be the norm. OK, putting in a performance like that against whoever we play should be the norm. You can't go on the front foot against City or maybe the Reds uh, from across the park. But, you know, you've got to play with that confidence and that commitment and, and, and that belief. So that should be the basic level. Um, however, you know, um, it, it's it's really important to remember that in the background, Everton Football Club are conducting a footballing review. And the people who are conducting that footballing review, with the exception of Graham Sharp, who I don't believe was involved in the appointment of Benitez, but the chairman and the chief executive countenanced the appointment of Rafael Benitez as manager of Everton Football Club. And and that was one of the most disastrous decisions that we've made in recent times. So how on earth are they qualified when we've got now a team of people, the likes of Clement and Cole, Roberts and Lampard, in the football club. Why are we allowing these amateurs to conduct that footballing review? Anyway, I'll leave that for people to ponder. Um, Starting the game on the front foot, absolutely vital. And when you're up against it and you need to get the crowd with you and the crowd are with you and you keep them with you, then yeah, who's gonna benefit from that? Well, I think somebody like Pickford would benefit from that because Pickford is instrumental in us playing the ball quickly, getting it forward quickly, not just hoofing it, but kicking it quite accurately out to the wings. I think the fullbacks are really key. I think somebody like Seamus, who I love to bits, but who is very much an eight or a four player, um, he benefits from starting quickly because that's what his game is all about, an overlapping uh, wing back. I think Damari Gray would benefit from that because, again, he's got pace. 
I think a player who doesn't benefit from a quick start and from quick play, Barry may or may not agree with me, is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I think he may present us with something of a problem because if we're going to get the ball, you know, he, he's, we want him to hold it up back to goal or we want to get wide and put crosses in. I'm not sure he benefits from the quick-paced, fast-passing tempo that we've seen Lampard try and introduce because I'm not sure Dominic is yet as mobile as we'd like him to be as a, as a centre-forward. But as a style of play and certainly as a style of play at home against a team you need to beat, it's got to be the right way to go. What are your thoughts on that, Baz? Obviously, it was a, a 4-4-2 as well, you know, and I know yeah. that there was a, a bit of a tweak to that, you know, Richardson dropped into to almost that midfield off the ball to cut off that, that passing line into the defensive centre midfielder. Uh, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that and Calvert-Lewin as well? Is it going to have to do some real, real work for them to get them up to speed? I, I agree with I agree with Roger. Um, you, you know my opinion on Calvert-Lewin. Don't, don't think he's just like a little a purple patch goal scorer. I don't think he can do much more than score within the six yard box. All right, he holds the ball up well, wins a few headers, but he, like he, he can't pass a ball. He can't do anything else. Um, so I, I don't think Lampard's style will suit him. I don't, uh, unless we do somehow like integrated. So we, so like he, he's like the main focal point up front. Um. You probably seen when we played Brentford when Richarlison played as number nine, it was a lot better. It was a lot quicker. Um, whereas with Calvert Lewin, it's not. Yeah, and that's no that's no disrespect against himself or not, because you know obviously he he scored a few goals the past few years. But if it was up to me, I don't I don't think he'll be up to Lampard's what what Lampard wants anyway. I, I certainly don't think that. Interesting this summer, isn't it? Because I think obviously I, I was looking at social media at the weekend and Luca Dean was getting quite a bit of a, a rough ride from the Aston Villa fans online. Um, and you know, I think we've took a bit of a risk on that. It's still, we'll still see if you know if it actually pays off for us or not. You know, the jury's still out on that one because you know, Mikhailenko is going to take some bed in. We know that Patterson is going to take some bed in. He's young lad there as well. Um, so let's say you know the over the medium to long term, whether that one works out for us. Um, but it does make you wonder the bigger picture. You know, it's an approach that Liverpool have used. It's an approach that, you know, a lot of the sides now have to use, certainly ourselves in a financial fair play situation. But, you know, a big, big comes in for someone like Calvert-Lewin. You know, it's it gives Frank a bit of wiggle room. You, you could... I, I'm, actually, I'm actually more open to the fact that that Frank probably could get the right players in moving Calvert Lewin. I wouldn't have probably trusted Rap when he says as much. What about yourself, Roger? I think, uh, well, I do agree with Barry because I don't think Calvert Lewin will suit Lampard's style of play. Um, and, and I think there are two clubs that he might be better suited to, one of which is Tottenham and the other of which you might argue is Arsenal. But obviously, we should get top dollar for him. And, um, you know, that top dollar to me is 75, 80 million minimum. We do that and we can reinforce the squad with some depth and some options because right now, you know, we've gone from having very few attacking options, especially when DCL was out injured and Richarlison was out injured. But now, you know, we've got attacking players uh, in the squad who can be effective. Sadly, Gray's injured, but I think Deli Ali will be a decent acquisition. I think given a bit of time, he's one of those players, a sort of t- Tim Cahill uh, type who can, you know, make good runs from midfield. So ideally suited to Lampard's uh, own personal style of play. So you'd think he'd get plenty of assistance from him there. 
So we've got a number of different attacking options and, and, and to an extent playing with DCL as an outright nine limits those other options because you don't really, can you play with a two? Certainly difficult to play with a three. Um, I, I think if, if there's that rigidity of the man, number nine, centre of the penalty area and all that. Um, I, I think the sides that are successful or, or are being successful right now have a much more um, fluid uh, approach. You know, the, the, the Liverpool front three has, has shown that. And, and, and Manchester City without a bloody striker. Look at them. They're going to win the title by 10 points, please, God. Um, so Calvert-Lewin's a good player um, and we can get good money for him. And our squad is still so weak in certain areas, such as centre-back, um, that, that you'd think that money could be well invested. Um, I think with, with the coach that, that we have in Lampard, it's um, difficult to see where he might fit. He's not, I don't think he's his kind of player. But you could argue him and Tammy Abraham, are they the same kind of player? I don't know. Abraham's got a bit more about him, ball control-wise, is he? I, I don't know. Are they the same player? Not sure. Yeah, yeah. they kind of got compared because there was him, Solanke and, and Calvo Lewin, of course, Cole coming through that, that kind of youth set right. at the same time, wasn't it? And remember the yeah. World Cup um, where AD Bufroyd, he, he went for, for Solanke at the time, I think, for, for starting for England and, and kind yeah. of overlooked Abraham, who was on loan at Villa at the time and scored quite a few in the Championship. He had Calvo Lewin as obviously getting game time for Everton, but at that time he wasn't scoring a lot of goals, but he went with uh, Solanke out to three of them. Quite interestingly, um, it obviously didn't work for him at the time. But obviously, I think Abraham did improve. He's seen a lot of goals in the championship. Obviously, it was clear Lampard liked him. You know, he's gone to, to Roma now. So so obviously, Jose Mourinho must have liked him, what he's seen from him as well. You know, and, mm. and Mourinho likes players to work hard and, you know, and, and, and certainly to suit his star. So, you know, I think I think there's going to be a lot of options there in the summer. Deli Ali obviously came on at the weekends in that position, and I, I actually done all right. I thought, like you say, then I think. Yeah, I did. I, I, I was wondering what the catch was with with Deli Ali because I was thinking Daniel Levy letting him go on a free. What what there's obviously got to be more to this, and and someone in the ground told me at the weekend, which I didn't realise, that there was um, a twenty sell twenty uh, percent sell on clause uh, for MK Dons. Uh, but apparently um, they don't get any of that MK Dons if it's add-ons perform incentive based add-ons so the deal um actually means that that whatever money uh spares do get then it all ends up in daniel levy or aka Tottenham's pockets um mm. you know, we know he's a quite a shrewd businessman so it makes a bit more sense to me now you know as, as to why that deal was structured the way way it was because it obviously suited spares maybe just as much as it suited us at the time uh but he played in that position and he actually, you know, there was the ball, wasn't there, out to uh, old Mustang Sally, got his, his, his left foot on it, on the air, uh, the, the volley, and, and actually forced a really good save. Um, so where where does he fit into that size, um, Barry? Where, where, where could you see Ali coming into that size? I thought you meant Ron Bond then. That's Mustang <laughs> Sally. I was going to Daddy Ali for me fits in. Number ten, I'd say, at number ten, be like your creative player, um, in the midfield three. Failing that, you you could potentially play him up front. Uh, he he did play there for Spurs for when Kane was out because I know they used to they used to play um Son and Kane, not Son and Kane, uh, Son and Ali when Kane was out. 
so you could you could potentially play him front as well if uh, if it was needed. Uh, and he's quite he's quite big, isn't he? So he's a big tall guy, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise how big he was like. Um so he he'll probably win a few heads as well, to be fair to him. So uh, nine or ten, I'll play him. Well, it's an interesting one as well because I think last season 55% of our goals came from either Richardson or Calvin Lewin. Obviously, with the weekends, I know that one one of them goals was choked off Richardson, but you know, either way, it, it, neither of them scored the goals that, that won the game, the three goals that we scored. I mean, I know that's a bit uh, mis- mischievous to say, but we've actually got a few players there now that can actually chip in with the goals, you know, away from just focusing on the on, on the same two players, which which is is a nice luxury to have. Um, obviously, one player that came in that was a bit of a throwback to me that we have we we haven't had this profile of player for some years was Donny Van Der Beek. Um, again, you know, some serious money's maybe required in the summer, so that's part of some considerations that may have to go on if he carries on in the form that he does. But uh, what were your your interpretations before the game when he started, uh, Roger, to, to after the game? Have they changed? Did you expect that? That kind of player that we've seen on the pitch. Well, you've got to you've got to sort of caveat it with, as we've said, players are an eight one week and four or five the next. But I thought I thought Van der Beek looked good. I thought he looked confident more than anything, and hungry to to get on on the ball. Um, he's um, he had that sort of calmness of a Gareth Barry in terms of a quick pass and move, pass and move, keep it ticking over, but with a little more pace and. Uh, perhaps better at the quicker passing in terms of over distance, right? Gareth Barry was great, give and go, give and go. You'd give the ball to him and the play kept ticking over. Um, Van der Beek is what we need. And if we're going to play a three in midfield, you need someone like him um, who, who who's not just going to sit, but who can launch attacks and who can run forward with the ball um, and, and not just be a sort of quarterback. Um, we need that. Um, but what we need is options, right? That's what we need. And if you if you look at the best teams, you know, when Chelsea were dominant, Man United been dominant, Manchester City, Liverpool, whoever, you know, you know, a team's good when you think, how on earth do they get everyone on the pitch? You know, if they got 12 or 13 players on the pitch, whereas at the moment we might have four or five or maybe six. But, you know, how are we? What a lovely problem to have. How are we going to fit Ali and Richarlison and Van der Beek and Decore and Alan and Gordon and Damari Gray and... Or Riley, we've only got room for two centre-backs. That's just as well, because we haven't got any. But, you know, we need options. And it's a squad game. And, you know, you need different different formations and different players for different opposition, different tactics, different times of the game. Um, you know, I think we were kidding ourselves even at the start of the season when we said, oh, personally, I think our first eleven is as good as anyone's. No, I've got news for you. It's not. It wasn't. It's a bottom half first eleven, and I'd argue it probably uh, still is. We need some real additions and some real, some real quality. But so long as every player we bring in from now on raises the quality of the overall squad, that's fine. Because we've brought in an awful lot of players who have reduced the overall quality of the squad. Van der Beek's a great addition, I think. Delhi, and I think we should get used to calling him Delhi because he doesn't like being called Ali, does he? There's some sort of issue with his, with his father, I think. That's why there's Delhi on his shirt um, as opposed to Ali. So Delhi's a good addition. Van der Beek's a good addition. And, and let's hope that the two fullbacks, well, we haven't yet seen Patterson in, in anger, but let's hope that every signing and, and every player out the door is replaced by someone better coming in because that's exactly what we need. There's still an awful lot of dross there and one good performance, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Well, Roger, and 
look, I think to be his, you know, a lot of people talked about maybe being that player to get into the box and, you know, and, and get a bit of a goal. Uh, but uh, Barry, was it refreshing to you to, to see him quicken the tempo? There was a couple of times he was demanding his own players to give the ball straight back to him. You know, there was a lot of time I, I've been frustrated this season of very cumbersome on the ball, you know, but he was kind of stringing it into people, demanding it back and, you know, it was forcing other people to move the ball a lot faster. Yeah, he's like he's like a he's like a water carrier, isn't he? You know, he he'll get moves going, um, which is what you want. And it it was just nice not to have not to watch not have to watch midfielders who were dead slow. I'm fucking sick of that. Just you, midfielders who were just like like crabs, just go sideways, sideways and backwards. But he seems to get the ball and just like like ah fuck it, I'm going forward now. You mm. going. Um, instead the you know looking for the easy pass you know he probably tried a few things on Saturday and they never come off but at least he tries to go forward which is you know you've got to go forward to score goals haven't you so yeah I, I wanted to cab because he, he, he was a breath of fresh air on, um, on Saturday yeah, 100% I mean I, I watched um, Leicester West Ham yesterday and just picking up on what Barry said, Leicester are a painful watch at the moment. You know, they pass the ball across the back slower than we were doing, even under Benitez and at times under Ancelotti. Pass it, pass it, backwards, backwards, backwards. And for all that, you know, people rave about Tielemans, he does exactly that, passes it. In a, you know, I know he scored the penalty yesterday and, you know, maybe influenced the result. I, I, I thought it would have been a travesty if Leicester had won that game. Whereas West Ham, much quicker passing. You compared Declan Rice in that midfield to anything Leicester had. And they're just so slow in possession. And they sat back and they sat back. And, you know, when you're going to play in that style, going back to the point earlier of, you know, the crowd are with you to start with, but you need to keep them motivated. If you're going to play quick attacking football, then the crowd will stay with you. But if you're going to pass it around from Holgate to Keane to Keane to Holgate to Kenny to Coleman to Keane to Holgate, you know, the crowd are going to get it on your back because it's not, it's not going anywhere. And Leicester were dreadful at that yesterday. Shows you how quickly a team can, you know, if, if, if there are one or two players that make that happen, and if Donny is is one of those players that can make it happen for Everton, he's going to be a huge influence. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And you know, look again, it's a player who's come from Ajax's academy, right up their system. That all the players tend to be comfortable with possession. Uh, and Everton have probably been anything but over the last couple of years. You know, it's almost been like a hot potato for us at time. You know, as soon as we get you know get the ball, we're giving it away straight away. So it was refreshing for me just to see some of that. And what the other thing I noticed about this game as well, there was a couple of times he lost possession, but then he chased back quickly and won it. Yeah. You know, whether that was getting a header, you know, when the ball was ping, uh, ping ball and back. Uh, but he, he was never static. He was never static. He was always moving, you know, and that that was whether he was dispatching the ball for a pass, whether, you know, someone else was in possession. He was always looking to be busy. Um, and, and again, too, too often we've had players... That have shared responsibility or, or hidden that midfield, you know that, that you know that. So one day that continued. It's one game. Um, you know the game before he had ninety three percent pass uh, passing against Newcastle, which I thought was incredible. Con- you know considering the rest of the team weren't bothering moving anywhere. You know everyone was was awful that day. Uh, but another midfielder, obviously, we talk about some of the players we brought in. Uh, maybe you talk about one other one that I, I just didn't see at the start of the season become become to where he is at the moment. And he's performing at quite a high level. Is, is Anthony Gordon? 
obviously 20 years of age now. Uh, he's been called up this season to the under-21s um, from, from some of the, you know, been in the 19s, the 70s of England. And uh, two, two goals, two games there. No, Ashley Cole's certainly part of that setup. Is he surprised yourselves? You know, what's next for Anthony Gordon? Could he progress even further and may, maybe get himself into some of that England reckoning? Obviously, we've seen a polar opposite in George and uh, Jaden Sancho, who's struggling this season from a lot of money coming to the league. What can we expect of him? Barry, you've seen more of him live. He's he, he's good, like, but he, he has got a lot to improve on. He's got a lot to improve on. Um, he, sometimes he looks lost, uh, and to be fair, and like great player, and that you know, like he's a winger. He reminds me of a bit of Steve McManaman. I mean, he just gets the ball and just runs, and you know, tries to get the ball in the box, but. Like I noticed it on Saturday, um, he looked knackered after about thirty minutes, and I mean, like he he was puffing out of his ass, and that that's not a criticism of him or nothing. It's just if he's if he's gonna be consistent, he's gonna have to improve on his stamina, so he can play like ninety minutes every week, you know. Because you know, if, if we were to get into Europe, he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to play Thursday, Saturday, Thursday Sunday or Tuesday Saturday. He he wouldn't mm-hmm. be able. Every week, uh, and that's what he needs to improve on. Uh, it was all his quality in terms of the fuzzy pitches. You know, it, it's refreshing to have a winger who will actually get the ball and try and beat the man instead of you know going for the easy option, going backwards or going to the side. He would like you. have probably seen it on Saturday, um, where the Charleston nearly scored in the first half. He got the ball, knocked it past the defender, ran, and then. Uh, crossed it in. No, we've not had a winger who can do that since I'd say I'd argue since like the first year of Morales, second year of Morales. So it's it's a nice little refreshing thing to see, to be honest. Do you play him right wing or left wing? Left, because I think he's got a left foot as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if needs be, you could cross it in with his left. So I'll play him on the left. Um. And I think Gray's better on the right. So, I mean, you you could always swap them. You could always you can always swap them, and that that's a good thing about him as well. He can play on both wings. He could probably play at ten as well. But he's versatile, which is another good thing about him. But no, I I play him on the left if, if I if I, I was sat in the manager's seat. But if you're going to play two wingers, then we'll be playing four four two, or are we playing the two wingers either side of who in a four three three? See that? That's a nice problem. problem you want, though, isn't it? Yeah, of course, of course. You need to have variety. Yeah, I just say exactly that. But in terms of um, a style of play, there aren't many teams that play with two wingers anymore, are there? No, I'd, I'd probably go four-four-two if I was honest. And then you can you can easily drop. Um, you could easily drop Richarlison to players like as a four-five-one. You could you could easily do that, which which I think would work as well. Mm-hmm. I seen that. Um, I think his name's Matt. Does some of the tactical tactical analysis on work? Uh, sorry, on on Twitter, um, and he, he talked about. Um, Really good and stuff. If you haven't um, seen it already, I'll make sure it's tagged in the threads of this uh, podcast. But he talks about the fact that Frank likes his wingers to come inside a lot and be a lot more fluid. And I think you've seen that 
a lot of the times with Gordon, he almost floated in inside the pitch and yeah. picked the ball from a 10. Uh, I think that will suit Gordon, um, you know, because he, so I don't think he's, he's good at sticking a rigid, rigid position. He comes quite easy to be marked, but maybe that, that suits him being a bit more fluid. Obviously, you mentioned that before as well, Roger, the, you know, the fact, you know, where, where, where can, can that front three be a bit more fluid? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Wingers, wingers fascinate me because obviously Liverpool, and you look at Salah, Salah um, is a left-footed player. He plays on the right, cuts inside, shoots left with his left, and it goes in the top corner more often than not, sadly. Um, but as someone who watches quite a lot of football and tends to have the odd punt, I tend to get myself sucked into corners. Man City and corners. I mean, for goodness sake. So they don't go outside the fullback, you know, get to the byline. I, I used to play wide when, when, when I played football quite a bit. And I'd always try and get to the byline, turn the defenders and cross from there. And, and there aren't that many wingers that actually do that. It's very frustrating when you want a corner. You know, when you want a corner to happen and the left-footed winger, rather than going to the byline and crossing it, cuts inside onto his right foot and then squares it to someone else. So I think the role of the winger is very, you know, you either get the Salah type player or, or, or you know, maybe, I mean, Henri was a winger, wasn't he? And then he became a, a striker cutting in off the side. And Richarlison is almost that kind of player as well. I wouldn't call him a winger, but, you know, cutting in from wide positions and shooting. But real, real wingers of a maybe of a Steve McManaman ilk, or you know, going back to the crazy days of of people like you know Dave Thomas at Everton, um, wingers who would literally keep the whites of the lines on their boots and then and then cross it. There aren't that many of them around nowadays, and and I think that's because you struggle to fit them in to a formation because you don't play with two wingers in a four-three-three. You wouldn't call Mane, Salah, or the Man City strikers wingers per se because they move across the front line they might start wide and cut in and and so I, I think I think the role of the winger is is is, is tricky um, because invariably they do cut in and and therefore that's why I asked the question do you play Gordon on the left wing where he can go outside and cross with his left foot or would you play him on the right wing where he can cut in and shoot on his left and the real interesting one obviously then becomes like you say we've got a lot of options there I think Townsend's the same isn't he tends to look yeah. like drinking sides crossing you know crossing sides I think there may be three from two um, or three from four we might have to pick then you know we've got like obviously Ali Calvert-Lewin Richarlison uh, and when Takure comes back you know the, that kind of that that kind of nine and ten position, or whichever way mm -hmm. you classify it, nine and eight, you're gonna have, have to almost pick that from them four players. Um, I think Tabik's gonna play every week. Yeah. Alan seems to like. Um, over, you know, unless he does put Tukure much deeper. Um, and then Alan's places up for grabs. You know, there's there is options there, but you know, I think like I think you were right what you were saying before, Roger and, and Barry about Ali. He might actually be more in contention for that higher up role. And then the, the winger things, and obviously we see Al Ghazi the other day. He's a different type of winger again. Um, yeah. Again, let's let's uh, head not beat around the bush. I don't think um, you know it was the, the most sensible buy with what we actually had available to us bringing him in. But he's here now, you know, and he, he looks like he's got a bit of pace on him. Come on, a bit of confidence. He was a lot taller than I imagined from when I've last seen him. But ten Premier League goals last season. I know four of them were, were, were penalties, but again, you know, he knows where the ball to put the ball in the net, um, you know, very direct. So th there is options there. I think it just it, just to touch um, on, on something that you mentioned, Roger, um, before we, we kind of start to finish, is, is, is the centre-half pairing. 
Um, yeah. you know, I think it, it's become a real problem for us. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you obviously 120,000 a week as contractors starting to come to it towards its end. Um, what what do we do with him in the summer? I think you have to sell him, don't you? He's made a porcelain for Christ's sake. Um, and and he may be a good. I mean, look, he can have some quite commanding games, but his fitness record is dreadful, which may mean that it's difficult to sell him. Um, I, I find him quite ungainly. But, but he's not unlike Joel Matip either. I'm sorry, I'm mentioning far too many Liverpool players here. But, you know, he, he, he's, he's long-limbed and looks slightly ungainly, but he can be quite effective. Um, I don't think there's a long-term future for him. I think we need a complete clear-out of, of, of all our centre-backs. And I think you asked me, one of the first questions was, you know, how long will it take Frank to establish, you know, an identity with this group of players? I don't think he'll do that until he has a captain. And we haven't had a captain for a very long time who's going to play every single game. Seamus is great, God bless him. But but you know, we went we've had some crazy people captain us from Gilfie, whose name we cannot mention to, you know, Michael Keane has had the armband, Luca Dina had the armband. You know, we need a leader, we need whether they're Donny van der Beek, I, I, I suspect it's not him. Um, but we do need a captain. He needs to find a leader from somewhere. It's quite fortunate at Chelsea, because he had Cesar Aspiliqueta and a couple of others who were real, you know, uh, leaders. Um, so he didn't need to find a new one, but we need one of those. And and you would you would often look to a centre back for your for your captain, wouldn't you? You know, we've had Dave Watson, the last player to lift a trophy. Man United often had centre back captains. You know, um, in terms of Bruce and uh, uh, and those sorts of players who uh, you know are commanding. You think of John Terry. You think of Tony Adams um, as as great captains. Um, and your captain, you know, we, we ain't got one, um, and we ain't we need one. We need one if you're going to develop a, uh, a real culture throughout the squad. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's a massive challenge for Frank to, to find a captain. Probably, would you say, I agree there, would you say, Barry, that that's where the, the bulk of the money might go in the summer, you know, finding that player there. That, well, firstly, they can actually play 38 games and, and develop a bit of partnership for starters will, will be a nice refreshing change, but actually to wear the captain's armband as well. Yeah, we, we need a leader. And we need the centre back. So go and get two in one. Get a centre back who's a leader. It's simple as that. Uh, if it means spending forty million on someone, then sound. But you know you need who's going to captain your team. You need someone who's, who's who ultimately can defend um, and organise that backline. I mean, our backline is so disorganised. Um, in terms of playing people onside, marking from dead balls. I mean, hopefully that'll get better. But that leader at the back, that centre-back, even if they aren't the captain, we need a general who'll organise the troops. And we ain't got one. I mean, it's not Michael Keane. It's not Yerry Mina. It's not Seamus Coleman. It's not Ben Godfrey. We haven't got a leader at the back. It's interesting as well, because there's a lot of talk about Frank Lampard's and, you, you know, bringing the young players through. But he's also got the best of some of the older players. Well, you mentioned Asla Quest is on a free in the summer. Uh, it, you know, he brought Thiago Silva from PSG Absolutely. to Chelsea. Yeah. Um, you know, all, you know, well within their 30s. And it does make it curious, you know, obviously we, we have got restrictions because he actually coaxed someone maybe to come in for 12, 18 months. We've had a couple of good experience. Defenders at the football club, if you look back to Richard Goff, I know the game is... Has moved on somewhat, probably from 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 where it was there. It's a lot, you know, a lot more intense at times now, and you know, pace reliance. Could that be an option, Roger? You know, if we are, you know, in the interim, and then maybe look at you know spending on 
or maybe another centre back that we can develop, or then bring in someone who can actually marshal back there as well. You'd like to think that um, Lampard's got a decent scouting network and got some good connections and might know of people coming through the ranks at various clubs, people who've played in the championship and the like. I wouldn't have any hesitation to take a Thiago Silva as Piliqueta, uh, Richard Goff, David Weir type player, because you know centre-backs centre can be a little bit like goalkeepers, get a bit better with age, what they lose in pace they have in intelligence and reading of the game. Um, uh, and, and some of the best quick centre-halves you know, they can get caught out of position and end up having to race back and, 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 and you know, come in a foul and concede a penalty or whatever. I'd far rather have a nice calm centre-back and that doesn't mean we have to play very high up the pitch or have this ridiculously high line to try and catch people offside. But just organised so you can trust, good on, good on the ball, good with the feet, can clear the ball and can organise the others around them. I don't care whether they're 34 or 24 um, and, and probably they're more likely to be Older than younger. It's interesting. Obviously, we've seen we've seen a. I know you don't. You, you haven't been a big fan of, of brands. Um, you know, and we, we've spoken about that on the podcast on numerous occasions. Obviously, he took mm. his job back at PSV. You know, you half expecting the way some some people go on uh, fan wise about him that some of the big clubs would have come knocking for him, but he's ended up obviously back at PSV again. Um, yeah, it gives me a bit more hope. Um, you know, maybe that Lampard could actually pick up a few good players up for us. Um, obviously, there's talk of, of Tim Cale possibly having more involvement coming in. Um, there's a few mentions of a few different directors of footballs. Um, is there anything that's... What are your thoughts on this director of football model? Do you think we need one? Um, and if so, do you think that it's still got to, it's still got to keep within the ethos of what Frank Lampard wants and he, he should have most of that, that voice in, in the room when they do meet up and and discuss players? Well, I think as we said at the beginning, Dave, you know, Frank's come with a team now, um, with Clement and then with his assistant and with coaches of the potential and, and certainly the playing record of, of Ashley Cole. I think they have to um, be very comfortable with any appointment. I am totally uncomfortable that the chairman and the CEO in particular are doing interviews for director of football uh, because they're not, they shouldn't be, they could always, you know, have a final chitter chatter and see whether, you know, they can all work together very happily, but they're, they're not fit and able to make those sorts of decisions. Um, I think most clubs have directors of football and, and I think it, we'd be well advised to get one. But in the short term, I'm quite happy with the footballing expertise of those that we've recruited. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, Brands, uh, if I, I was critical of him, I still, I still would be critical of him. I'd stand by the majority of the things I said. I think it's very interesting. He's just gone back to PSV. Plenty of Premier League clubs might have been interested in someone if he was that great. And I think his single biggest failing, other than not standing up to Mashiri, if that's indeed what happened, is the mentality of the players he recruited because they were just not, you know, they, they were made of very, very fickle stuff. And we needed players of a certain quality, certain mentality, a certain attitude. And a lot of the players that he brought in were quite weak and have not really been able to play under pressure and uh, have not added leadership and have not added spirit and, um, you know, that real commitment that you would look for when you're trying to build a, a footballing culture. They might be able to play beautifully in training drills, but, you know, a lot of the players that we've had and that Brands brought in were very weak and, and, and um, that didn't suit, that didn't work for us. Uh, and I think that's the biggest criticism I'd, I'd make of his recruitment. 
couldn't agree more. And it is interesting that he has just kind of sloped off and gone back to, to PSV, you know, obviously probably with a, a rather large bank account off the back of Everton Football Club as well um, after a couple of years here. Uh, Barry, is, is there anyone that stands out to you? What are your thoughts on Tim Cale? Obviously, there's a lot of the kinds of job for boys things, but I think in, in Cale's uh, position, he has actually got a lot that stacks up in terms of you know contacts and ambition. Could he come in and I, I, I had uh, Baz from Toffee TV talking about this the other day and it, it, it strung a chord. I mean, could he come in, learn from the next director of football and potentially take that role in two or three years' time? Yeah, he probably could do. Depends who the next director of footy is going to be like, but he, he could probably come in, learn off him, and then, um, what do you call it? And then just see what's what. He probably could do, mate, yeah. I, I think we've made too much about the personality cult around the director of football because the most effective ones at other clubs, Liverpool, for example, uh, Man City, even Tottenham, um, you know, people don't really know who they are. They just get on with it. They may well be well-respected professionals who've had a good career, but but it's about the club rather. I mean, we made such a big hoo-ha about Marcel Brands this, Marcel Brands that. Um, maybe maybe we built him up too much. Maybe we're to blame for that um, because the manager will always be front and centre of the of the club's interaction with media and uh, and and the fans rather than the director of football. Um, and and I think you know we haven't had that. If you look at Villa and you look at the way in which they've sort of now been communicating through a very effective and competent CEO in Christian Perslow um, and, 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 you know, getting Gerard and the way they've communicated to the fans, that's really effective. And, and, and Brands, when he came in as director of football, barely communicated with the fans, did he? He wouldn't talk to the media. And I think he did one interview with the North American Toffees where he, he gave us some absolute gobbledygook about writing a report for Bill Kenwright after every game. If you believe that, then. You know, you believe anything, won't you? Yeah, and look, I, I, I have certainly asked around about brands and from what I've been told a couple of times is that it was a source of frustration to a lot of people at the football club as well. Um, you know, they wanted them to, to speak more um, frequently uh, to people and he, he just didn't. It does make you wonder why, you know, was that... Was that really had to bite his tongue, maybe? You know, and he, he didn't want to actually come out and, you know, and... and I own some 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 of the some of the issues that were going on. You know, he certainly hinted when he was he was questioned at the grounds that, you know, it wasn't just on one man. There was a bit more of a picture to it. I don't think we'll ever find out the, the you know the true picture of what actually went on during his tenure. Uh, I think you're quite right there. The next person that does come in, you know, let's not make them the architect. Let's not give them that front and centre role. You know, and at least you know make sure that they are able to communicate to the fan base and, and willing to communicate to the fan base and that should be frequent and often you know and yeah. keeping them informed um obviously the, the removal of the AGM uh, that was mentioned doesn't give me too much confidence uh, but look us fans deserve to be communicated to you know it's, it's integral that you have that link between the club and the fans and you know we're kept informed because too often we've just been left in limbo haven't we uh, over the last couple yeah, of years have. And that's we have a lot of the frustration. Listen, the other point on brands that a lot of people don't realise because he's Dutch and he looks healthy and fit is, you know, he's going to be 60 next month. He was born in 1962. Yeah, didn't he? Uh, didn't he uh, that's, that, you know, Frank Lampard's 43. You know, he was an old, he, he's comparatively old yeah. when he was appointed, you know? So... You know, he wasn't this, people sometimes, you know, the narrative around him was that he was this, you know, brilliant, bright, young um, hope. Um, and, uh, you know, well, not young, but, you know, 
but he was kind of with it with the modern game and everything just because he was Dutch. Um, so, you know, he wasn't. Can I just ask you guys a question? I know we need to wrap up, but something that's been annoying me a little bit, and we're all quite active on social media, and we talk about the club and we talk about culture and we talk about the fans needing to be communicated with. Um, what's annoying me is that we seem to get have got back to this leaking of the team um, 10, 15, 20 minutes before kickoff. Um, yeah. And that, that, that isn't healthy. I don't know why one would do it. It's very, it's very accurate. So well done, everyone. But why, why do that? Why do that particularly when you're doing it in public? And, you know, if Marcelo Bielsa had been wondering whether to play Rafinha or Jack Harrison or whomsoever, and he'd seen John Joe Kenny was in the start, or oh, whatever, you know, there's just no purpose to it. Is that why, 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 why do that? I don't understand it. And, and surely Frank's got to get a grip of it because you don't want those leaks. I think it's a, it's a good point. And uh, funny enough, it's it's quite apt uh, that you make it now because obviously we just played the eyes and there was the whole spy gate. Where exactly, we, with Lampard, yep. Yeah, and he was looking to just get that marginal gain, which to, to a coach like Biasley talks about how important that can actually be to him. You know, we may just laugh about it and say, well, you know, is he really going to be looking at social media? Well, he was sending people to hide in the bushes at training camps, you know, so some of these, you know, we, we may just, just off the cuff laugh it off, but, you know, it's a big thing. You know, these small differences can... can, can we're talking about Everton Football Club needing to stay up, aren't we? You know, and and, and we exactly. are still in position. Um, you know, their marginal gains can be, I think, for, for top level managers. Um, so yeah, no, I think that, that, that it's a very good point, and I think we, I think as a fan base, probably we probably do have to reflect on that a little bit. You know, about how much is actually put out there, and and whoever is leaking it at times. I know I'm guilty sometimes of asking after the team. I certainly would never put it on social media. Um, you know, for that specific reason, I keep it to myself if I'm told and. In private, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's definitely, you know, I think it's a, a fair and valid point, Roger. Okay. Um. So yeah, no, for, uh, it's been a bit of an interesting start. There's a lot to do. Um. I, I think when we mentioned about seeing the real Frank Lampard sides, I think that will take time. We've obviously seen an up and down already. Don't expect to be any, you know, getting off that roller coaster anytime soon. Um. Boreham Woods obviously huge. Uh, City, uh, Roger, you know, obviously quite often we've gone into this game with the mentality of ah, City, they're going to beat us anyway. What do you, what are your thoughts? Are we going to get beat anyway? Or is there a chance of us to actually get something after this game if, if, if the, well, first of all, if the actual team turns up and the atmosphere is on point again at Goodison Park? Uh, well, before that, we got Southampton and Southampton's a fixture that's very dear to me because <laughs> I'm it's my closest. It's my closest living on the south coast. I'll be there again, as I've been. Um, I've got an absolutely shocking record. So any any Evertonians thinking of going to Southampton, you might want to think again because I'm going to be there. I've seen us lose one nil in 2016. Charlie Austin four one when I was famously photographed with um, Speedo Mick, um, who uh, I was mistaken for a Southampton fan. Uh, we lost four one, and then I saw us lose the following season. Uh, both of those games were. Uh, in almost exactly the same day in November. It's always cold and winter time when we go down there. Then we lost 2-1 in uh, 2019 under Marco Silva. But then we did win, finally. Christ almighty, we won 2-1 um, uh, under in the, in, towards the end of Silva's reign. And then under Carlo, we got beat 2-0. So, you know, the last five games at Southampton, we've lost 4-1-1. So I wouldn't uh, hold your breath. Um, I heard people saying, oh, if we get our act together, we, you know, we'll be fine. It's only Southampton. We'll wake up and smell the coffee 
typical arrogant Evertonian behaviour. They've just been to Spurs and won and should have beaten Man United. Um, but they are a bit of a streaky team. So I'd be happy with a draw against Southampton. Um, I'd like to think we can perform up to standard. I actually have a sneaking suspicion we can get a result against Man City. Um, I think um, I think we might be well suited to them at home. And depending on what state of play is with Pep and his Champions League games and whether he's shuffling and resting his squad, um, I think I think we have a good chance against City. I, I, I certainly don't think we roll roll them over. Um, they obviously have better players, but better organised, fans behind, good as an atmosphere, yes. Boreham Wood, you know, shouldn't present a challenge. And then the sixth round of the FA Cup, you know, home tie against Palace or Stoke or whatever. Frankly, I'd take anybody at Goodison right now in a one-off cup tie where, you know, there are no replays and it's going to go to penalties. I'd take anyone at home. Um, I, I think there are reasons to be optimistic, but let's not get... Let, let, Frank needs to show us he can get an away performance out of this shower. Um, and if he can do that, um, then, then a corner may well have been turned. Thankfully, you know, Norwich and Watford and whilst Burnley aren't losing heavily, they're not picking up many points. So it looks to me like them three are going to go down unless Burnley can, Burnley can put a run together. I agree with you on that. I, I looked at uh, Leeds' fixtures as well, and I didn't want to say in the week, but the next six games were hard, and that was including us. Um, yeah, true. I, thought I was going to curse them into winning the, the game against us, but they had a lot of injuries again at the weekends. Uh, Rafinha obviously come off at half-time. Uh, they're starting to mount up the ice on the sides notoriously start to pick up quite a few injuries in the, the second half of the season with the intensity levels that he plays at. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I know Barry um, called them as being his shout for, for going down this season at the start of the season. Uh, he was right last season. Um, so let's see if, if he can re reproduce that form. Uh, Brentford. Um, Brentford only got 24 points, you know, and they've played 25 games. Um, so, you know, they could, they could hit the buffers, but... You know, Norwich and, and Watford, 15 and 17 points. Uh, I'm not sure either of them are going to get to 30 this season. Uh, and, and, and Burnley, maybe, but I mean, they've got games in hand, but so what? You know, they can't score a goal. They're not going to get, they're not going to get any more than one point, are they? No, no. And, and of course, they've, they've let go of uh, Woods to Newcastle, which was a oh, strange... stunning piece of business because he's rubbish. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, absolute garbage. I'm not having him. I don't think he'll score a goal for Newcastle. They took the money for him, and that's fine. But no, 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 no. Um, he was very suited. He was very suited to a Deitch system, wasn't he? Should we say it's thirty million pounds? Seems very generous um, to take him off the hands. Um, but yeah, no. I, look, we've just got to look at ourselves, haven't we? If, we? if we can win them home games, that you know, that as and when we play them hopefully get the, the monkey off our back in terms of actually winning an away game as well. I don't think we've won since Brighton at the start of the season. No, we um, haven't. I think that that then will put us in a position where we can start maybe playing a bit of football and start to see some confidence coming into the team. Uh, but we're, it's all about scrapping at the moment, isn't it? Everyone's got to be a cup final. We've got to go out swinging and, and you know, and not just match the sides, but we've, we've got to go with the intensity levels at the weekends where... To be fair, it was quite brave of Frank against Leeds. You know, be eyes of that again, high intensity, high press. He actually went toe to toe with, with an Everton side that many probably wouldn't be confident playing in that that that, that you know that kind of directional style. Certainly, yeah. four weeks ago, you would have expected us to play high press. You would have thought, "What the hell's Rafa Benitez trying here?" You know, we haven't got the players for it. Oh sure, 
So, you know, let's see if we can do that against Southampton. If, you know, we again, it may be suicide, but let's go out swinging at least and have a go at them. And, and City's got to be the same as well. Um, and hopefully some of them goals, um, you know, count for us and, and the marginal gains in terms of corners and, and set pieces that have been letting us down start to swing in our favour like they did at the weekend as well. Yeah, great. We we have to defend. We have to defend well. Like, you know, they, they, you know, we've kept that was our first clean sheet since a nil nil draw with Tottenham in November, and um, we have to. You know, Leeds were unlucky. Two two shots against the woodwork could have been two all at half time, and I wouldn't have fancied as much in the second half at two two, um, because I just don't fancy our defence. Um, I really don't, and uh, we've got problems there. So. Got to keep it tight at the back. I don't think we can go too gung-ho, but I think Frank's smart enough to strike a balance. Definitely couldn't agree more, Roger. And thank you for, for, for coming on as always, mate. It's always a, a pleasure to, to listen to your, your viewpoints and your reflections. Um, keep a bit of balance from me getting too uh, overly optimistic as well. Talking <laughs> back down to reality, which is important, because I think you do get buried away to win, you know, and, and at times that you've got to look at the big picture there, but Look, Frank Lampard's here. Let's let's hope that he's not like too many managers that have gone before him, you know. Um, and for anyone that was listening earlier, thinking about the atmosphere and, and you know, and thinking that you've got some good ideas or want to get involved, it's not a closed shop. It was just put together over seventy-two hours because uh, we just needed to do something. So everyone, anyone that had a number on WhatsApp that we knew, we reached out to and tried to communicate to and. I think uh, Barry Williams, if you've got him on Twitter, certainly give him a message if you want to be involved, if you want to give any thoughts, any reflections. We need every fan across the fan base to come together, pull together, give you know your, your contributions, your ideas, um, and, and that we've just got to work together. You know, and I think I enjoyed the game at the weekend. I know many of you would have enjoyed the weekends that, that you know that, that were there as well. You felt the difference. Let's feel like that every time we're at us and let's let's you know let's sing the songs and lift Goodison and we haven't got that long left have we Roger now and the old lady as well whatever game we play there's uh, one less game um, so it'd be nice to actually go out on a high wouldn't it and, and remember Goodison for, 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 the, for the best days and not the worst days Oh I think so you know and, and it's very telling that people are already singing Super Frankie Lampard um, after two or three games in charge um, we never had a song for anyone any of those managers, apart from Carlo, a little bit Carlo, but anybody, Kuman, Silva, certainly not Allardyce, and certainly not Benitez. And the fact that there's a there's a quite an amusing Deli Alley song, um, and 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 a, a jolly good Donny Van der Beek song. Um, I'm looking forward to joining in vociferously at St Mary's on Saturday and uh, saying hi to good friends that I'll see when I'm down there. So let's hope we can um, keep the uh, keep the show on the road. Fantastic. Thanks for coming along, Roger. And we're going to Pleasure, end with, with a song from our beloved Hamish um, Keith, whatever he wants to call himself, Interland fan page. Uh, but to whom Wolf Parade is ringing around Goodison at the weekend. And I know he's been trying to push that agenda for some time. Farley was actually um, on at Goodison at the weekend, so the, the team will warm it up. So I still believe that the three points probably were down to. The, uh, the man behind the, the cloak, uh, Chico Azul uh, and Dahul on Love Parade. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you all soon, probably back for next week.